Hey, welcome to Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. Let's get right into it. Yeah, that makes me want to go on a whole tangent about liminal experiences. And I think I'll put a pin in that and see if if we come back around to it. Because the thing we still haven't talked about that I think is fundamental for people to understand, as you explained it to me, is these four major concerns. These big four in like fundamentally how we are wired um, and how that affects us from an existential humanistic perspective. So I would love it if you could just briefly go through those big four concerns and how they affect us on a day to day. Definitely. Um, so I'll start with death anxiety. Um, so that's usually like the biggest one that is like, I wouldn't say the biggest one. I would say it's usually the easiest one to identify in the room. So like when you're even just talking to someone and whatnot, um, and death anxiety is pretty much what it is. So it's like being anxious about death. Right. So it's just this idea of like, wow, I came into this world alone and I leave alone. What does that look like? What does it feel like? Where do I go after? You know, it's usually those bigger philosophical questions that, you know, organized religion seems to put a nice like bow on these things and give us these answers. But for a lot of people, that isn't enough. Or for a lot of people that have decided to, you know, not follow the church, there is still this understanding of like what happens to me when I die. Um, And so I would say that's probably one of the major ones that shows up a lot. Um, Just like, a little brief idea that there is behind this as well is like this idea where it's like there's shields and then we have these shields in front of us and the shields are usually like, so there's like us in the center, the shield next to us is going to be like our parents or if we have older siblings, the one after that's going to be grandparents, great grandparents and so on. And it's like, as these monumental forces die, the, the shield like kind of go away and our own imminent death gets closer and closer to us, which brings up this more of like death anxiety, like, holy crap, like I'm, I'm going to die at some point and how do I live my life some people take that in a positive or it's like I need to like you know whatever it is start my own business get married to the love of my life or they could take it the other way where it's like what's the point why well, get out of bed if all right. I'm gonna do is gonna die yeah, um, we're little survival machines we're, we're, we're programmed to survive so death would in- inherently bring anxiety if we're at something right. we're trying to avoid consciously avoid exactly and I think like again like when you brought up consciously as well like we're if not the only one of like the very few species that understands our own mortality. Right. So like, even though other like animals and whatnot, may understand like I am hurt or like they know something is going on where it's like, okay, maybe my time is coming and they are very in tune with their bodies. We're like from a very young age, we have a pretty good understanding of like, Oh, I'm like dying. Like I, I'm actively dying as soon as I am born. And like, there's no, you know, going back. And it's like, you know, in kindergarten, I was starting to have these like, Oh crap. Like I am going to die one day. And what is that like type of thing? Um, but yeah, just been interesting. That, that might make you slightly unique. I don't think at five years old, I was thinking, <laughs> right. um, but we all do have different, uh, sensitivities at different ages and, and the things that we've become aware of. Okay. So death anxiety. And so the four major concerns, I think it would be safe to say you could tack anxiety in there just easy the four major anxieties. And that would be, Definitely. um, that would be just as valid. So, uh, big, big one, death anxiety. What are the other three? Yeah. So the next one's going to be freedom, like slash responsibility, um, freedom and responsibility. So freedom being that I can literally do anything I want in life. If I want to go live in Europe, I could go live in Europe. If I then want to move back to America, I could move to America. Uh, I could do whatever I want with life. I could like work, do whatever job I want to with life. I could live wherever I want. I can marry whoever I want. I can like literally do anything because it's like whatever I can think of, I can pretty much do. Am I willing to put in the effort that's going to take? Maybe not, maybe, but what it comes down to is I can do anything that I want to do. So that is the freedom aspect, right? The responsibility aspect is going to be taking responsibility usually for the negatives 
and the positive. So it's usually you're going to see it more often with the negative. It's going to be harder to do. Um, so like, for example, we'll say like, I don't know, say I got fired from like a job, right? Instead of being like, wow, like maybe I should have, you know, shown up a little bit earlier. I shouldn't have showed up either like just on the dot or like a little late each day. Um, maybe I should have been like more prepared say if I was like working in a classroom and just like had a more lesson plan set out, that would be taking responsibility where the other end would be like, well, like screw that. It's their fault. They just don't like me. Uh, and kind of just like taking that responsibility and putting it off. And what that does is when you put the responsibility on someone else, yeah, it may make you feel a little bit better because you're not emotionally taking on that like deep, you know, type of feeling, mm. but you can't make any change because I can't control you. I can't control the other person. All I control is my own actions, right? right? So if I'm like, damn, I should have done this differently and I'm going to do it differently. And here's the like steps I'm going to take. Right. That's where the responsibility piece kicks in. Yeah. And just in listening to you describe that freedom and responsibility play off each other, right? That's why there's they're mm -hmm. a slash there because freedom is mediated by responsibility and responsibility is mediated by freedom. So mm -hmm. some there, there are times when you, quote, could do anything, unquote. Literally, there's like a smorgasbord of choices in front of you, but you are limiting the number of choices that you are considering because of your sense of responsibility. And similarly, you know, taking on responsibility that is not your own, taking, you know, taking responsibility for things you cannot control and can't do anything about hmm. uh, can hamper our freedom and, and, and our ability to enjoy and, and be present in life in new and interesting ways. And so there's there's always an interplay there in Montessori talk about um, freedom and discipline. That freedom mm -hmm. is meaningless without discipline and discipline is meaningless without freedom. Because if you don't actually yeah. have multiple choices you can make, then you're not really being disciplined. And mm -hmm. if if you don't have the freedom of choice, right, then there, there's nowhere to enact that discipline and vice versa. I think I just monkeyed that up. But I, I think the basic notion, is, hopefully I've communicated the basic notion that uh, that for these things to be meaningless, they must both be present uh, with with each other. And and I'm sure many people know the anxiety of having, quote, too much freedom, unquote, having so many choices, they don't know where to mm. go or what to do with mm. that number of choices. Or again, as I said about responsibility, having too much responsibility and feeling bogged down by that responsibility. So there, there's a balance to be struck here individually, both with freedom and responsibility. Having too yeah. much freedom versus not enough freedom, having too much responsibility versus not enough responsibility. Exactly. As well as how they they interchange, how they yeah. specifically. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Um, yeah. And like so in going and that idea about like having too much of one or the other, I think is like you touched on it about like it's really like a you know, a very personable dance. It's like I can't tell you what that ratio looks like because it really is only gonna be something that works for you. And it's probably going to be also a very uh, like fluid thing. So it's probably going to be like, oh, I need to take more responsibility for this hour. And then I need to like not take as much responsibility. And it's just, you know, the circumstance, but again, like gets back to this idea of like why EH is like such a flowy concept. Cause it's like not this concrete, like here's the answer. Like, you know, like, so CBT, it's like, no, like do this thought challenging exercise, blah, 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 change this schema anxiety's gone. You're great. Right. You're good. And now we're done. So it's like great for fixing the symptom. But like when you teach someone these like very deep existential humanistic topics, this is when you're getting to like the core of like, Oh, this is why I am feeling this way. This isn't just to make my symptoms go away. This is like literally a way of being like, this is a way I'm not only in therapy for this. Like when I leave the therapy session, 
I'm still like this different person. Like I'll use myself. Like I am not like an EH therapist who's then is just like a person outside. Like I'm very much the same person as I exit therapy. So in my real world, I'm still like holding these thoughts and holding these objects. It's like who I fundamentally am as a person. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a transformative experience. I, I say the same thing again. I bring up Montessori a lot, but that's my frame. Yeah. So, uh, for me, the best, the, some of the best teachers I've ever seen are Montessori teachers who specifically engaged in the transformative work of becoming a Montessori guide. Exactly. Um, and that's different because then they really are different at home after having had that transformative experience rather yeah. than just being one way in the classroom and then another way when they're home. Exactly. Uh, I think that's really powerful. Okay. So we've done anxiety about death. We've done anxiety about freedom and responsibility. What's the next mm-hmm. one? Yeah. So um, existential isolation is going to be another one. Um, so existential isolation again, kind of a heady topic. Um, it's this idea really being where it's like, no matter how, how well I know someone, no matter how close I am to someone, like I am still ultimately alone. Like no one actually understands what I am going through. Right. So even like being a therapist, I can get a very clear understanding and just what my client is experiencing, how they experienced it, what it felt like for them and whatnot. But I didn't like walk in their shoes. I wasn't them. I don't know what it feels like to even sit on the couch describing it. Um, and it's really just like, knowing that and just like knowing that even your closest most intimate relationships you're your own person with your own inner monologue that like no one else is really going to hear and even if they heard they wouldn't understand because it's not what you yourself are feeling within your body um this also is going to tie back into with the idea of being i come into the world alone and i go out of this world alone Mm -hmm. and it's just like so you know these it's then hard and sometimes you just start really challenging and reflecting like are my relationships meaningful does this person really understand me do i understand myself those types of things so then i wonder if that ties back into the death anxiety in so far as we are communal animals by, by not every single human is going to be as communal as every other and you know other, every other human it's on a scale but that generally speaking we are uh communal and that's how we evolved for survival and so i communicate and when i talk about people really freaking out about getting rejected. It's like, well, it feels like death. Yeah. Right. And that's because isolation in human society normally means death. Rejection would mean that you, you know, you've been voted off the island. Yeah. You can't care for yourself alone because mm-hmm. we care for each other in groups where different people take on different responsibilities to make sure we all get um, what we need. So I just kind of that popped up for me. What would you agree with that notion that part of the anxiety of isolation is, is rejection and the indirectly kind of connects to that anxiety about death? I can like totally see how those two could be connected, like for individuals, I could see it being, um, different because i could also see people who like thrive on rejection thrive on like really being independent and like having that sense of like this is like who i am there's no one else like me and it's like mm-hmm. anarchists like come to mind like that whole like the punk movement the punk scene and whatnot yeah. um no but like i definitely agree and i could also see that even being like um an activating event that could be like the first time like you really notice that was like wow like i think differently i couldn't even imagine I mean, I can think of a couple of times this happened in my life of being rejected from social situation, um, knowing that even like the group had the same beliefs, but forever, like that certain environment, there was a different type of belief and you weren't willing to get on board with that belief mm-hmm. and just how really, yeah, like being alone again, like that could feel. Um, 
And I think like for me, it even goes back to even times of like when I've been the most sad that even the happy, like positive feelings as well. Um, even the people around me who like are sharing in the joy. And again, like this communal aspect, like, oh, let's come together, like have parties or like, let's come together for death and like have, you know, um, celebrations of death or whatever your family decides to do. Um, but then again, like you're still like really sitting with your own feelings. So though someone may be able to come and be like, wow, I can tell you're really sad right now. Or like, oh man, I'm so sorry for your loss and that you're crying. It's like, you're really yourself or the only person that's able to feel at that time. And you can feel lonely in a room full of people. Isolation is not about, you know, presence of other humans. It's about connection to other humans. So yeah, exactly. I I had a coworker who brought up this, uh, term halt, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm. When any of those four are present and there was a a fifth one that we batted around as a team uh, that I can't recall right now, frankly. Uh, but that if any of those things are present, it impacts our capacity for like stable emotion and connection Mm. uh, if it's more like, than uh, one is present, then hierarchy it's... of needs. What's that? Yeah, it's a uh, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, it's like those basic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. precisely. And and so when you don't have your basic needs met, and lonely, of course, is slightly different. Lonely and tired are slightly different than hungry and angry, and yeah. like how we how we process those. But uh, it is really fascinating to watch people who, you know having a really bad day it's like why are you having such a bad day and it turns out they're feeling disconnected from everyone around them it's like suddenly right. they, they hook, hook that up and they feel mm-hmm. connected again and suddenly like the, the nothing is wrong yeah and it's so interesting what's wrong is not what was really wrong hey y'all just want to take a quick break in the action let you know that if you're enjoying what you're listening to please do recommend it to a friend i would love to expand my audience and the best ways to do that are word of mouth and reviewing my podcast on the iTunes Apple podcast platform. If you'd like to leave me a voice comment, go over to anchor.fm slash educate for life, anchor.fm slash educate the number four life. It might even end up in the show. For more information about what I'm up to, please check out my website, www.educate4.life. That's educate the number four dot life. Now back to the show. Yeah. And it's like, I can definitely recall times where I've been in like rooms full of people. And those were like the loneliest times that I ever felt. And times where I was like, absolutely like completely alone in my, you know, bedroom and that I was the most fulfilled and connected I felt. And I think that's also like brings up this super interesting idea about like spirituality and whatnot. And just like the level of like connection you can have with whatever source that you want to call it, whether it just be like love, whether it be your religious belief or whatnot, but like having that almost spiritual connection, which is then also interesting to think about these ideas when you brought up like the food stuff, just about like fasting, even and whatnot, and how even like almost, I guess it would be like purposely denying yourself some yes. of these basic human needs also somehow gets you to, but the intent being that you're purposely doing it rather than like mm-hmm. not purposely doing it. Which is yeah. And it should, yeah, absolutely shifts your consciousness. People who choose isolation, you know, like they're hermetic or, you know, people who choose fasting as a spiritual mm-hmm. practice. It definitely, you know, how we interact and mediate our relationship with our body and its rea- and its survival mechanisms. Again, like mm-hmm. taking control of that, I agree is, mm-hmm. is uh, it's really quite fascinating. I've definitely felt um, most lonely in romantic relationships. I used to say mm. in high school, I'd rather be lonely alone. Mm. And I've never felt as lonely alone as I have felt when I was supposedly in a relationship. And when mm. I say supposedly, I don't mean that I wasn't in a relationship. Of course I was yeah. in a relationship, but that feeling of disconnect 
uh, of, of not being seen or acknowledged or, or whatever for who I quote truly was, how I felt I was inside. Um, that's an incredibly lonely feeling. It certainly was for me. Um, yeah. And I think in like being honest, like even in my thinking about existential isolation from that idea of like being within um, relationships, even like my earlier relationships, um, almost like a uh, using it to like avoid having to do introspective work to like really focusing on who I was. And I would agree, like feeling super lonely, even in like very intimate, close relationships. That was why it was almost like I was using it as a way almost like a buffer to keep myself from actually like tapping into like the true authentic self that like I needed to explore. I needed to do this work on, which ended to isolation because I was like creating this facade of not really being like who I actually was and presenting it to that person. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Kind of flip sides of the coin Mm -hmm. of what I was describing. That's really interesting. Um, Okay. So we've done uh, anxiety or fear of death. We've done anxiety or fear of freedom and responsibility, anxiety or fear of isolation what's number four mm-hmm. yeah so like meaninglessness um is going to be number four so this can tie into like purpose right meaning of life um right. the big questions of like why am i here what makes me different from all the other humans on this world why why like what why is it even worth it for me to be here why should it can even go on the other side of like why should people even value me right so it could be like almost high sense of esteem, low self-esteem no self-esteem um appropriate level self-esteem and i really feel like this can come from everywhere. I work a lot. So I'm located in Silicon Valley, um, in San Jose area specifically. And I work a lot with like the tech industry and per se like techies. Um, and I've also like really tried to kind of establish myself and like understanding that population because I have been so drawn to it. One, like my dad is an engineer. Um, but somehow he kind of like escaped this thing that I have been noticing but one of the big things that I've noticed is that you have these people so for people who don't know if they're listening Silicon Valley uh we have like Apple eBay Google like all the meccas like in this one very concentrated area um and so there's just like wealth everywhere so it's like you see nice cars being driven everywhere it's like not a big deal um you see nice houses and something that I was like noticing when I was talking to a lot of these individuals was so you have the nice car you have the nice house. You have the family, the family size you're supposed to have. I have two kids. I have a, a boy and a girl. And that's exactly what I was supposed to do per se society. I have the wife. It's like, I'm still not happy. So now what? So now I have all of these materialistic resources and I'm not happy. I have no sense of purpose. I have even maybe less sense of meaning because the job I do like doesn't give me any type of spiritual fulfillment at all. I don't even know like how it's impacting the world. Right. And it's just super interesting because that's, not what you're really born hearing. You're not born thinking those things. Like a lot of times we're kind of placed into these careers of like, well, be a doctor, right? Be this doctor because like you can make a lot of money. Be a lawyer because you can also make this type of money. And it's like how important we place on money and materialistic things. And when you get older realizing or it's like, oh crap, like that's not what's important whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I work, I would say that's probably like 80% of the clients I work with, that is somewhere in there. It may not be why they sought out therapy, but that is somewhere in there about like, I'm not in some aspect of my life. I'm not feeling the sense of meaning and purpose. Yeah. That's, that's particularly interesting in the context of survival. We were talking about survival before where this is that, that I, from, from what I understand from our past conversations, this is a great kind of gateway into understanding the humanistic component. Not that I want to dive headlong into that because I actually want to mm-hmm. check in about death anxiety a little bit more because I think that underpins 
almost everything, but perhaps, well, no, it affects this one too. Mm-hmm. It absolutely affects this one too. Mm-hmm. Um, that like how much time we have to, to, to live our purpose uh, and whether or not it's valuable to live our purpose. I think it's interesting in the context of the other three. Mm-hmm. This one also has a sense of connection or disconnection. It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up and when you're asking you're three years old? There's a difference between the kid who says, I want to be a princess. Mm. Um, and the kid who says, I want to be a physicist. Mm-hmm. There are three-year-olds who say that, right? There's just between the one yeah. who says, I want to be a, a, a doctor at three mm-hmm. uh, or veterinarian at three versus yeah. the one who says they want to be a doctor at you know 16 after they've been told the majority of their lives that doctors make money. Yeah, so there are people that seem to have a sense of purpose early, mm-hmm. and those who seem to develop their sense of purpose over time. Mm-hmm. And and to be clear, I can't remember who it was. Was it? It wasn't Brene Brown. It was. Uh, it was a slew of TED talks I consumed in a short period of time, and one of them had to do with passion and purpose versus whatever uh, blanket term, bucket term mm-hmm. they used to contain a bunch of other ideas. But essentially, yeah. whether it's valuable to design mm-hmm. our life around purpose similar mm-hmm. to Western between compassion and empathy. Uh, yeah. You know, people want to, there's a lot of kind of digging into these terms and how we live our lives. I think though, at the core, when we're talking about meaningfulness and meaninglessness, it's what is my place in all of this and how do I enact, how do I enact that? Yeah. Uh, if mm-hmm. that's even a fundamental to me, there are some people that are seemingly happy doing nothing all day long. I would wonder if they were given something to do that felt meaningful, if that would feel better than doing nothing. But I can't say, right? Because I'm not them. Mm-hmm. I'm not wired like them. Uh, mm-hmm. But it does, in this conversation about anxiety around meaninglessness, I wonder if sitting around and doing nothing all day is just covering up the feeling of meaninglessness, that if they were to dig that up, maybe they would find and, and define a meaning for themselves that would be valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that like touching on what you just talked about, like someone sitting around is like, um, a lot of times the first place to jump to, and not saying you were doing this, but like a lot of times for individuals, the first place to jump to as far as meaning, purpose in life is going to be job, right? Career or something along those times. And that like may not be the case whatsoever. In fact, a lot of times what I have found, even for me personally, is like, you know, really find something, what was it? Not that you love to do. Uh, my mom used to tell me this, like do what you love and love what you do. I think. Yeah. If I remember correctly, that's what she uh, used to tell me. And I realized, like, I definitely get, like, the meaning and, like, idea behind it. Um, but for me, that, like, wasn't, that was not the recipe for my own, like, personal success and, like, meaning in life. And when I talk about success, I'm not talking financial. I'm talking about just, like, spiritually and just, right. like, being as a person. Um, and so, like, what I experienced as far as success was, like, being in therapy, it is something that, like, really fills me up do I love it? Yes. But is it like, do I, am I absolutely in love with my job? And if I had all the free time in the world, this is what I would want to be doing every day. No, like I definitely enjoy doing what I do, which I definitely think is key to a career, but like my source of meaning and purpose comes partly from my job, but definitely is not only from my job. Right. And I, because that's like so much, um, not responsibility, but that's just like so much to place on one aspect of you. And I would like to think I'm a multifaceted individual. And for me to feel the sense of meaning and purpose, I need to be doing numerous different types of things. And so where I was going with the person sitting on the couch is like, you know, maybe they're sitting on the couch not doing anything, or maybe they're sitting on the couch playing video games. And like their sense of meaning for this time in their life is like, you know, maxing out their alt on World of Warcraft. Like 
Right. We have no idea what is bringing them their purpose or meaning at that point in their life. Or like maybe on the weekends, they're going to some type of like spiritual retreat or something. And like, that's where their source mm-hmm. of meaning is coming from. And it's so interesting because something I've learned, and this is like the humanistic coming in, it's like, it's not for me to like place my own understanding, my own idea about, oh, this is probably what will bring you meaning and purpose. But like really understanding what has come up for you and like at this time and what is bringing you that sense of purpose. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting when I communicate with people about, um, their, not just their career, but how, what they want for themselves to, to your point is like the pro think of the prototypical ski bum. They're working on jobs and sometimes maybe they're teaching on the mountain, but sometimes they're just like taking random retail jobs just to make enough money to get back on the slope because they yeah. find their meaning in being on the slopes. They don't find their meaning in their job. And so they are happy. I'm talking about, again, a prototypical ski bum. I can't talk yeah. about each individual person. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, there's a, a joy and, and there's just like a little ease um, from doing work that is totally, quote, meaningless, unquote, um, but gives them everything that they need to live the life they want to live. So sometimes mm-hmm. when people put all their meaning in their job, then they lose their job and they have no meaning in the same way that people who put everything into being a parent and they say, I am mother, I am father. They critically identify with that label. They make that label who they are. And then their kid leaves the nest quote, leaves the nest unquote. Yeah. Yeah, and now exactly. they feel like they have no purpose because they yeah. poured their entire being into that label of mm-hmm. parent. Um, and that's also why some parents really, frankly, fuck up their kids because they're so obsessed with being a parent that when their child is ready to be an adult, they don't want to allow that child to be independent and autonomous. And they find ways to undercut their child in order to continue to be a parent because they can't yeah. imagine their life any other way. Uh, yeah. They're afraid of that meaninglessness. And so they'd rather, quote, harm others, unquote, to still have what they have. Right, mm-hmm. going back to value, hurting your child has value to someone who can't stop being a parent. Yeah, um, you know, I just think that's a powerful thing to consider where mm-hmm. we place our meaning, how we identify with our labels. To your thing about labels, whether our labels are valuable, it's like I'm depressed. Well, am I identifying so strongly with that label that I will maintain my exactly. depression, or am I using that label as a launching point in order to address my depression to potentially no longer be depressed? Exactly. There are very different relationships with those labels, and I think that yep. again, that meaningfulness, meaninglessness has a lot to do with how we identify or not with labels. And from my perspective, how does that yeah. resonate with you? Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. Um, 100% agree with that. And I definitely think that like, it, again, it's not like I now figured it out or it's like I, I went and I saw Nick and now I have like the meaning of life and the purpose of life. So I'm like set for the rest of my life. Um, it's again, like something that I would like, at least for me, like I'd probably go through an existential crisis around like, what is my purpose? What is my actual meaning on like a weekly basis? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I view it as a sense of growth. Like it's not even like a negative thing that I'm having these. A lot of people like, like, oh my God, like how could you? have that or like be thinking about that all the time where I view it as almost like a check-in with myself. Like, Hey, am I actually like doing what I'm supposed to be? Am I still on that right track? Cause I start like going off and maybe I need to like readjust something. Um, and it really just being able to go like being fluid and being even open to what that is. And so something that I've kind of been working with has been this idea of like certain things that bring me a lot of like joy and just like overall, I would say like enjoyment is probably the best word. So like, 
you know, for me right now, that's like spirituality, health, fitness, like kind of all tied into one. Um, and then also this idea of just like the huge personal connection and just like really engaging with people on a deeper level. And so for me, like therapy is fulfilling that like connecting with people on a deeper level and like having those deeper conversations, having those deeper explorations. And I'm still trying to figure out like, where does the other like spirituality, where does the health and fitness part fit in? Cause right now I've been doing a lot of it, like on my own, like personal growth and whatnot, which does bring me some depth, like meaning and purpose in life, you know, but I can only work out like by myself for so long. And not saying that working out like with someone is going to fix that, but it's like, how do I take it to the next level? of like, you know, externalizing it and doing something that, you know, both adds value to the world while also like fulfilling that aspect of myself. Next time on Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. <sighs> well, instead of diving deeper into that, because I, I think we could probably talk for a whole half hour, 45 minutes, hour, just about that. I wanted to come back to this death anxiety mm-hmm. notion. Um how like what at the, is at the core of death anxiety because there seems to be two sides of that coin as we were chatting about earlier um you know what's really going on with death anxiety how does it inform the other anxieties and then ultimately what can we do about it if there's anything to be done yeah definitely hey again thanks for listening if you want more goodness, come hang out with me on Instagram at educate for underscore life. That's educate, the number four, underscore life. I jump on almost every day and go live once per week to answer questions and just talk about what's on my mind. We've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe, so expect some announcements in the near future. And with that, I hope you have a great week. Talk with you soon. <laughs>